Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage, where I join foodie and journalist Reggie Ho for shrimp toast and noodles at the Mido Cafe, a Kowloon institution. We then head out for a chat to the neighbouring park next to the temple at Temple Street. I first knew Reggie some years ago when he created the Good Eating Guide for the South China Morning Post. In this interview, he talks about some of the characteristics of Cantonese food, but how cooks have adopted ideas and ingredients from other cultures, and how he loves a cup of Yunyang, the mixed coffee and tea. So we're sitting in a park in Temple Street that has been here forever, and of course the temple has been here forever as well. But it's one of those places where you just kind of walk past all the time, because you're mostly here at night when the Temple Street Market is open, and at night it's quite dark, so you don't see it. But during the day, it's actually quite nice. You have a lot of banyan trees, a lot of people just hanging out. And there's a temple that is actually an actual temple that you can go and worship.、Um, yeah, so this is a sort of like an oasis in、uh, the Temple Street area. Yeah, no, there's、uh, people are just relaxing, sitting on stone benches around us. Hopefully, you can pick up a little bit of bird sound as well. And、uh, we are really in the shade. Of these lovely old banyan trees all around us, with all their—it's all the roots that hang down,、yes. isn't it? Yes. And、uh, yeah, there are a lot of these banyan trees.、Um, I think these are quite well kept because in Hong Kong, unfortunately, some of them are not, so they're kind of dying. These look relatively healthy to me, so I hope that they stay here for much longer. So I'm sitting with Reggie Ho in this lovely park by. This temple at Temple, temple Street, Street, and、yeah. uh, we've just been across to the Mido Cafe. And、uh, later on, Reggie's going to burn it off a little bit with a game of tennis. But we are actually just、uh, across the road from the, the old Mido Cafe, where we went up to have a bit of、uh, mid-afternoon food. So, can you describe what we ate? Yes, we had <laughs> we had the shrimp toast. It's become kind of like a famous Hong Kong dish. I don't even think it's Cantonese because I mean one of the interesting things about food in Hong Kong is is you know, the local food is kind of Cantonese at its roots, but at the same time Hong Kong has invented a lot of their own dishes. I think the shrimp toast is probably one of them. So it's basically you have toast, a piece of toast, and then you have fresh shrimp or, or prawn sometimes. And then I think there's just a bit of egg batter, and there's a, a bit of different ingredients that would give it the texture. So it's it's kind of like you get this fresh shrimp, and then you get the toast,、uh, deep fried. And then we also had something we call in Chinese called the、uh, silver needle noodles. They basically look like little, little needles sharp on both ends, a little bit thick in the middle. And we had it with some chicken and some pineapple, and it's stir fried with some soy. They said on the menu is、uh, childhood memory dishes, but it's not one of the dishes that I had as a child. I had other ones, but、um, but it's good nonetheless. I mean, silver needle noodles are quite popular, and you know sometimes you you eat them in soup, sometimes you、uh, eat them stir fried like what we did. Now I hope to return to the Mido Cafe and talk to the owners there and the staff of this institution. Lovely old tiles. And interesting windows with, with not exactly stained glass, but different coloured glass in the windows there. And, and of course,、uh, the Mido Cafe is quite an institution. But with Reggie here, I mean,、uh, Reggie, you've been a mix of uh, journalist uh, over the years. I remember when you at the South China Morning Post created 
the food good guide. Eating. Yeah, good eating. Do you enjoy going to eat out? Well, I still do. Um, of course, when I used to do good eating, um, it was I, I did it as work. It was fun, but sometimes I always just said that one of the challenges being a food writer is that you run out of adjectives um, for the food. <laughs> I mean, it's not like you can just say it's good or bad. You have to actually describe the food. Right now, I, I kind of enjoy places with like you can go with large groups and share dishes. Went to sort of like a, a Spanish tapas bar, tapas restaurants uh, the other day, and you know um, that's the kind of style of eating that I like. We also do sometimes like to visit nostalgic restaurants. So tell me about some of those nostalgic restaurants then. Yeah, so this is a very fun place called Taiping Kun, and there, there's several locations. Um, the original one, the oldest one remaining is in Yamate. They're interesting stories. They're famous for their roast pigeon. Uh, and also... Taiping Kun. yes. Taiping Kun is famous for their roast pigeons. And they also have one of the famous dishes called the Swiss chicken wings. Uh, and the story goes, um, is they are not really Swiss, but because one of the tourists went there many years ago asking the waiter, what are the chicken wings? And I, oh, they, they're sweets, sweets. No, I think what the waiter was trying to say was they were sweet, because the sauce is quite sweet. Uh, and so they somehow just evolved into Swiss chicken wings. Um, and also they have the... So did they put honey on them? or? Well, I, Cantonese palate, is, they like a little bit of sweetness. in Because when we cook Cantonese food, oftentimes you will see that it always requires a bit of sugar. And they always like that kind of contrast of savory and sweet. So I, I guess that they probably put either uh, rock sugar or maybe honey. Uh, but, you know, it's, a, it's soy with a bit of sweetness in it. The sauce is quite rich. And then they also have this dessert, which is also famous, is their own souffle. Their souffle is it's like the size of a volleyball. Right, so it came out from a, with a big dish and then there's like a, a volleyball sized souffle. You know, it's not the best souffle you ever have, but you have it for fun. Um, I think they might still do baked Alaska. I'm not quite sure, but they are quite old fashioned. One of those old fashioned places. So in Hong Kong, we have a term in Cantonese called that soya sauce Western food. So it's basically Western food that has a lot of local takes to it. Yeah. In fact, one of Reggie's favourite nostalgic restaurants goes back to the mid-19th century. Taiping Gun Restaurant was founded in 1860 by Choi Lo Go, who originally worked as a chef for a Western trading company in Guangzhou and specialised in Western dishes. He later left the company to set up his own restaurant in Taiping Sha in Guangzhou and named it after the geographical location. According to the Taiping Gun Restaurant website, it was the first restaurant in Guangzhou specialising in Western cuisine. Mr Choi created specialist dishes that became renowned in southern Guangdong. These included roast pigeon and baked coconut chicken done in Portuguese style. Among the prestigious customers who frequented the restaurant were Sun Yat-sen, Zhou Enlai and Chiang Kai-shek. The restaurant then came to Hong Kong and no longer exists on the mainland. One of Mr Choi's descendants, so the fifth generation of his family, still runs the restaurants here. Taiping Kun opened a restaurant in Wan Chai in 1939, in Xiongwan in 1947, 
in Yamadei in 1956 and another in Wanchai in 1968. These days, another famous customer is the actor Chow Yun-fat. Yeah, that's interesting with the baked Alaska and the souffle. Yes. They're for me, they're, I mean, they're lovely, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're great tasting desserts, but they're, they're a certain era uh, as well. But um, And it's funny how those have been incorporated into the Cantonese palate. Um, and I think it's lovely when you do have some of these old established restaurants. I'd like to start looking at some of those for the Heritage Programme. There's a couple up in Sha Tin, isn't there? Yes, um, I think the Shatin Inn is still there, uh, although I haven't been for a long time. My parents used to go there quite a lot. Um, you know, so you went there as a kid? I went there as a kid. So my, my, my father would like just put everybody in a car and they would drive to Shatin Inn, which at the time would take a long time to drive to. It would take at least an hour or more. Yeah, there was no big highways, was there? There were no big highways and it was, the roads were really windy and, and we, it, was, it was a long ride. Um, and also, there used to be another place uh, by the Tolo Harbor called, uh, I hope I pronounced it right, because we always used to call it by the Chinese name. It's called uh, Yuka de Lac. And they had, it, it was featured in a lot of the uh, Chinese film noir, a lot of the old TV uh, shows, because they got a really nice terrace and it looks out to the Tolo Harbor. Got a lot of fish ponds with frogs and temples. And they also have, uh, yeah, they, then they have like private rooms and all that. You can either sit outside uh, on the terrace or you could choose one of the private rooms. Um, so it's, it used to be a fine dining place. But of course, we're talking about fine dining 30, 40 years ago. Uh, I, they probably had dishes like chicken mornay or something. I don't know. I forgot the dishes already. But um, they, had, they had a menu with both Chinese and Western dishes, as far as I remember. So that remember. was the Yuka de Lac, yes. it was called, yeah. So what was it called in Chinese? Yong A Sanfeng, which was the name. Yong A Sanfeng just means it's a, it's, a, it's a serene and tranquil place. Yeah, it's quite a nice place. I, I always enjoyed it when I was there as a kid. But it's just a journey going over there. Yeah. It was a bit long. And also, it's one of those places at the time, I think you could only go if you had a car, because uh, public transport at the time wasn't as good either. So, yes. um, But that was an experience. Quite disappointed when it was, it, it closed in 2005. And I think a lot of people were quite devastated when it closed, because it was certainly uh, one of my childhood memories. Yeah, we've had a couple recently, the sort of jumbo restaurant and uh, Jimmy's Kitchen, whether that's you know, that they were restaurants of their time. I say, uh, certainly with the closure of Jimmy's Kitchen after 92 years, um, there were some reports sort of saying yes, but it's the high, sort of the, the real good times or the era when it was a very successful restaurant for a few decades ago. Um, but with uh, Jumbo Restaurant, were you a bit disappointed to hear that? I was quite disappointed because the food at Jumbo was actually not bad because you would have thought that like a touristy place the food would be a bit nasty and but no it's like they, they did proper seafood i've been there a few times the boat ride from the Aberdeen waterfront to jumbo especially at night when the whole restaurant is lit up it's quite stunning and then of course they had the famous emperor's chair and they also had all the customs where for $50 a picture you could uh, dress up as emperor, the emperor, the empress or other people around the imperial throne. So that was an ex yeah, certainly was an experience. The prices, not too bad and also the food quality was reasonable. So yeah, I was quite disappointed when it closed down. Uh, Do you think there's any chance of saving it? Well, I, I think that I, the, well, the boat is still there. I, I certainly think that hopefully when the economy picks up, somebody else will go in to um, reopen it. Um, they did say it was a suspension, but then I guess 
you, know, you, you don't know when things are going to settle. So I, I guess, but it would be a pity if it doesn't reopen. Tell me about your childhood. What sort of food did you like growing up, and what did your what did your parents cook? Now people have domestic helpers from Southeast Asian countries, but we used to have amas, older Chinese women. So amas used to cook. At home, you eat a lot of, of course, um, stir-fried food, steamed fish. Was always, you know, we always loved our steamed fish because you, you like to have the, the fish is just steamed and it's smooth, and the the, the meat is still soft and it, you know, it slides off the bones. And but the highlight is, of course, the soya sauce because you have the soya sauce with the scallion, a bit of ginger. Usually, you finish the fish and then you spoon some of the um, soya sauce into rice, and then you just eat the rice, and um, that's. For a kid, there was a always a treat. I remember. Uh, well, of course, then you got like festive foods around mid-autumn. Then it's time for hairy crabs, which I've I've never really gotten into. Is I think it's a lot of work for very little food. But. What is the What is the aspect of hairy crabs? Because I mean, I see it every year, and everybody's getting very excited. Where do they come from? The the authentic ones, and of course now throughout China, they they should come from this lake. Or I know the Chinese name Yangchengwu, which is a, a lake near Suzhou. And apparently, the the water temperatures there, when it's getting cooler, so the waters are also getting colder. And I think that the the crabs are getting ready for hibernation. I think, and then so they just have very rich the orange roll inside. That is the highlight of hairy crabs. But now you actually get hairy crabs from other lakes in China, but they're not considered to be the best because they're not authentic. The meat is really sweet. They are tasty, but I just think that you know having to just sort of uh, all all the cracking of the shell and peeling and poking around to get the meat out is just a lot of work. But but also then during during、um, mid autumns,、uh, also getting colder, so we also have you know the the Chinese sausage with,、uh, and also the the cured duck. So the the grease of the cured duck and in the rice and a bit of a sausage,、uh, Chinese sausages.、Uh, that's also like one of my favorites. It's comfort food for the colder months.、Um, and is it also reminders of your childhood? It is certainly, yeah, certainly one of the one of those dishes that we've been eating. I've been eating since I was a child, and it's still popular. Some of the dishes that we used to have that don't get made as much because they're so labor intensive. One of them is the pomelo skin. You have to braise the pomelo skin until it's very soft and spongy, and then it just takes in all the sauce. And then I think you also have a bit of dry shrimp on top of it. Restaurants used to do that, but it's because it's just so much work. It's very hard to find in restaurants now, and even at home, I don't, I don't, I don't hear people making that a lot anymore. Because I've always been interested by this. When you see, I mean, also in my home village where they've got,、um, they'll have entire racks or circular wicker racks, and and you'll have a lot of. Uh, various,、uh, you know, and it will be peel、um, that's drying out on this. So that's partly pomelo. It can also be there's some orange peel that I see, but mandarin orange. Mandarin, right? Okay. The mandarin,、um, mandarin orange peels mostly for、uh, the, for the flavoring. So you, you you put in dishes to just get that citrusy flavors. But pomelo skin, you actually because it's quite thick, and when you get it spongy, it's actually it's a meal. It's actually a dish. I don't know whether you could hear in the background there was some Temple Street karaoke going on, which was、uh, in fact the the Titanic song, but I think in、uh, in, 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 Cantonese. in Cantonese, yes, yes. So the Cantonese Celine Dion here in Temple Street. Oh, they do that a lot.、Uh, they do even more at night. Yeah.、Um, and it's basically、uh, this this part of Temple Street has like a whole sort of outdoor nightclub. Other parts of Temple Street, you actually have actual nightclubs that. 
they haven't changed their style since 1970s. Nightclubs. Yeah. Well, they call nightclubs. It's basically just a room with like disco lights, and then they have some tables and chairs, and you have women and men in like you know kind of glittery, glittery uh, costumes singing. It's very 70s, and they do still. Also, I think there's still one. There's actually on Temple Street. This is one place I go to all the time for the Chiu Chow style baby oyster omelets. Uh, so basically, you have little baby oysters. They harvest them a lot in Chiu Chow, and they're, they're quite plump and sweet, and they're quite nice. And then you you have this sort of omelet, which is sort of like an egg batter, and then they 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 somehow mix them, they mix in the baby oysters, and then they put in this big hot pan of oil and then it's, it's kind of the the end product is kind of a little bit crispy and then inside you have the baby oysters and then they put a bit of cilantro on top and they give you a, like a, a chili sauce to eat it it's a yeah it's one of my favorite dishes so my favorite place on temple street for that right next door to it is the one of these old style nightclubs and so when you're sitting there eating your baby oyster omelets you can hear the very retro songs you know blasting out from the uh, nightclub so it's quite an experience. I, I like I like doing that. It's just a, it feels very Hong Kong. It's a, <laughs> a, a it's a unique experience. Tell me about pork chop rice. Well, actually, growing up when I was going to school, so lunchtime one of the treats was um, pork chop rice, baked pork chop rice, which is served up by several fast food chains. Basically, what they do is they would uh, deep fry the pork chops with uh, egg batter, then they put on top of the fried rice, and then they put like. I put a tomato sauce, um, a special kind of tomato sauce there, on top, and then they bake um, the whole thing. So I actually attempted once to do it at home, and the result was quite good, but it's really a lot of work. But the baked pork chop rice, it's interesting also that I see fish that's then baked with, with rice and cheese sometimes, or, you yes. know, there's a lot of these, and, and is that sort of Portuguese influence here, or is this a, sort of a, a meal that's morphed? Well, certainly, I think that the, there are certainly Portuguese influences in some of the Hong Kong dishes, and I think the minced the minced beef. We say minjing ao I heard that that's Portuguese, I, as far as I remember. Yeah, so we have you know Hong Kong such a you know mixed bag of cultures. You've got a bit of you know Indian influences, in Portuguese. You have even Iranian, so uh, like a uh, Persian. So I think a lot of these dishes are, are like sort of like blends of different cultures. Now, when we were at the Maido Cafe, you also had the mix of tea and coffee. I did. It's called Yin Yang, which is because there are two things in it. It's also an acquired taste, but I, I think it, it, it works for me. When I was a kid, when you had a cold, you would be recommended to drink um, hot Coke. You boil, well, you, 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 sim, you shimmer the, the Coke, make it hot. So you drink Coca-Cola hot with a bit of lemon. And that's supposed to be a remedy for cold. Yeah, it would rot your teeth, but you would cure your cold. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know if it actually works, but that's, <laughs> that's what we were told when we were little kids. Yes. So we've had today shrimp toast, and uh, so it's all, I mean, there's a lot of deep fried in that, but it doesn't necessarily mean that there's deep fried right across Cantonese fare. No, I mean, as, as far as I know, deep frying as a cooking method was brought into Asia by the Portuguese. As far as I know, the missionaries, uh, when they're coming to uh, Asia, they certainly brought, I think they inspired tempura in Japan. And they inspired a lot of the um, deep fried recipes in Asia. 
And certainly they brought chilies to Asia. They changed kimchi, changed Thai food, changed a lot. Because I, I know before chilies came to Asia, the spiciness used to come from peppercorns. And that's, you know, what the Sichuan people would use. Uh, and then chilies came in. So the chilies came from where? South America. So, so, the, so the Portuguese went to South America, they found chilies and tomatoes, and then they brought them to Europe. But it took Europe a long time to actually start eating them because they didn't really know what they were. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, and then the Portuguese continued to just bring all these ingredients to the world. Um, so, yeah, I mean, without the Portuguese, there would be a, a lot of dishes that we are having today might not have existed. But with Hong Kong, with Cantonese dishes, mind you, uh, Canton or Guangzhou now, Canton was the er one of the earliest ports in China to open for trade. And so it has always been a cultural melting pot. And that's why Cantonese food is so versatile. And then Hong Kong being Cantonese at its roots, but at the same time also it's been built on trade. And so we were always very used to having, you know, people from different countries coming. As I said, the, the even Persian influences. Now let's talk puddings, because, you know, it's interesting with the Cantonese palate that, that um, you'll have aspects that can be quite sweet, but they're, they're, there's a lot of puddings that tend to be a mix of savoury and sweet. I think savoury dishes, certainly. The Cantonese, they always like a little bit of sweetness in the savoury dishes. and But when it comes to desserts, they don't really eat big desserts. They don't eat very sweet desserts. So they have well, mango pudding. It's like one of the most popular desserts in Hong Kong. But you also have the, the green bean and the red bean soups. And also you have, uh, oh, one of my favorites is the um, black sesame thick soup. When it's done right, it has a really nice texture, smooth and, and, and lovely. We also have, I guess, some Southeast Asian uh, influences here. So, I mean, Obviously, these are not Cantonese, but you have the Thai desserts. And I, I know that I know the Thais like to, you know, sometimes they eat fruits with a bit of salt. So that's kind of it's actually it actually makes sense because you're contrasting the the flavors, so that it actually it brings out more of the fruits. I definitely think in the 26, 27 years that I've been here, that uh, my palate has changed in the sense that I'm I'd be quite happy now with uh, well, definitely always with black sesame, but now with red bean and, and things like that I've probably adapted much more whereas at the beginning I didn't particularly like the flowery texture inside the bean you know but that's over time one thing I haven't been able to adapt to is the mooncakes the traditional mooncakes I find that for me um, very dense with the, the lotus seed paste and then the egg yes the, the lotus seed paste and the eggs the salted duck egg yolks that's actually not the oldest recipe ah. the oldest recipe there's this one called the five nuts so you have five different types of nuts and so you have melon seeds and then you have different types of nuts that one is even harder to digest i mean i had it once because i think there are not many places that sell that recipe i think lin hung is probably one of the places that would still sell it where lin hung lin hung tea house on um, stanley street they, they have a, a little bakery on the ground floor and they sell very old style Chinese bakery items. And the five nuts mooncake 
basically I had it once many years ago just as an experience and also for work because I was also you know, writing a food column at the time I only had one slice and I was full for about three days <laughs> it was so dense and yes. there's so much in it very rich with five nuts very rich and also you also have Chu Chow style mooncakes they have a taro paste instead of lotus seed paste they also have Shanghai Nese ones I remember having one that got rose flavored so I think they have a bit of rose water and they flavored the paste I think it was sesame paste so actually there are many regional mooncake recipes but yeah certainly the lotus seed paste with the um, egg, egg, egg yolks quite rich but I'll say that Spring Moon, the peninsula, of course they do the, the duck egg custard. That one's actually, and they're smaller, much smaller. So those are manageable. I mean, that would be my favorite recipe. Now, in terms of soups, with you, do you um, make soups at home and um, do you stick to Cantonese soups? Uh, I do certainly make Cantonese soups. Um, they're very soothing. They're like broths. They're basically broths. And so it's very good for hydration and also you you get the you know nutrients from the ingredients you, you eat the ingredients i mean some people just drink the soup but my favorite would be um green and red carrots and with pork and sometimes you eat like uh, some corn in it a chicken soup we have several types of chicken soup one of my favorite is you make a you have a whole chicken you make chicken soup and then you also add some Yunnan ham in it and then you add in some I think you can I think you can use cabbage there's, there's certain types of vegetable it's still like a Chinese cabbage that you can add to it and it's, it's a very very nourishing and of course the really good soup you have double boiled soups and that means that you basically put all the ingredients and the and the water in the container and then you put in hot water and have the hot water around it to cook the soup in the container. Uh, apparently, that extracts more of the nutrients from the ingredients. And certainly, it feels different when you when you have the soup. The soup is much more clear, but it's also quite flavorsome. It, it really feels like the double boiling method really brings out the, the flavors of the ingredients. And usually, we like to have maybe chicken. If, in that case, if you do a double boiled chicken soup, you use the, the black chicken, the chicken with the black skin. And sometimes you can also use smaller poultry, sort of partridges. So you, um, you double boil soup. You have so so we're very picky. We're very picky when it comes to what ingredients to use for certain soup recipes. Um, so for double boil soup, say yeah, you need the black chicken. We don't do soups with beef. That's one thing. Or not. You could, but it's not a. It's not common. I think most commonly we do pork. I mean. Canton, the Cantonese eat a lot of pork. Um, we basically have some pork in everything, which which is very difficult for the vegetarians because if you go for dim sum, like even the vegetables have been cooked in uh, pork stock. Um, we just love that a slight sweetness to the, the pork, which goes with the Cantonese palate because they like the little. They they consider the pork has that uh, subtle sweetness to it. Even when you're having chicken soup, you still put ham in it just because you, you want that extra boost of flavor. We call that the superior broth. If you go to a restaurant, you go to a Chinese restaurant, I think in an industrial, not industrial kitchen, but a large-scale Cantonese kitchen, I think they will always have a big part of uh, superior broth. The superior broth is just basically a, a clear chicken broth with uh, Yunnan ham um, and maybe other seasonings. But that's the 
space for a lot of dishes. So you always you always scoop up a little bit of that superior broth in all the dishes because it really brings out flavors from all the ingredients. When I was doing more food writing, I interviewed some of the chefs and said, what about the vegetarians if they can't have superior broth? They say that, well, the substitute would be, I think, uh, longgang fruits. They say that they can make broth from longgan fruits, maybe mushrooms, I'm not quite sure, but longgan fruits, is that's the sweetness. They're saying that it's all about bringing the sweetness uh, out of the ingredients. Sometimes I make chicken stocks at home for the same reason. You can make a lot of chicken stock and then you can put it in the freezer and then when, and when you need to, after you have the chicken stock, the other steps are just like, you know, 10 minutes because you just basically need to quickly fry something, uh, stir fry something, you put a bit of chicken stock in it and it's done. That's the basis of a lot of the Cantonese dishes. My thanks to foodie and journalist Reggie Ho talking there on some Hong Kong dishes. If you'd like to visit the Maido Cafe at Cha Chanteng Institution in Yamadei, then literally it's across the road from the temple at Temple Street. You can sit upstairs or downstairs and see the colourful tiles while having a piece of the cafe's famous French toast washed down with a mug of yin yang, that mix of coffee and tea that I can't quite manage. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. <laughs>